I want to first of all thank uh, Kenny Asabal and also Nina Simone for Simon for her for their extraordinary work and for providing me with this opportunity to be here at the 24th um, celebration of Bioneers. I, I tried to remember the last time I was here, and it must have been at least a decade ago, and it has grown phenomenally, their work, the movement, bringing activists together across all manifestations to be here has been extraordinary and it keeps going you keep it alive so thank you for being here this this morning to spend the next few days and just some time with me i appreciate that so much i'm born and raised in san francisco california i, I lived in the same neighborhood since I'm 11 years old. I live basically 10 blocks from where I grew up in Haight-Ashbury. And I still remain a, a resident of Haight-Ashbury. So born when I was born, there was an enormous opportunity to see and begin to reimagine the world in a different way. To begin to shape my own life and own values about what I actually saw. I had the extraordinary advantage of also being able to have a part of my life spent in the rural south with my grandparents. My grandparents were born respectively in 1892 and 1895, so very little had changed from the south inherited after the end of the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation and Reconstruction at the point they were born. My great-grandmother, my grandfather's, my maternal grandfather's mother happened to hold me. She was born in 1853 and freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. So there's a great deal of memory that resides in this 67-year-old body, whether that's part of my historic memory, part of my psychic memory. But I had the opportunity to be in those places and if you, can, if you can, in some sense, marry the two experiences, the Deep South and the Haight-Ashbury, you have something real <laughs> interesting there. <laughs> so in, in some, one case, I, as I thought about what I wanted to talk about, I, I just wanted to give some sort of reference to all the things that have happened to me, even in the last week, all the, the visionaries and people that I've run into and, and been able to sit with whether that's in celebration of their activity or in some way receiving some sort of honor bestowed upon me because of my support of the many things that the people do and encounter as an artist, as a citizen artist in this world. It's the one proud moment of my own experience. Let's check out all, throughout all the lethal weapons and all the movies that so people, many people know me by. But the great gratification in my life and great experiment in my life is the engagement that I've been able to establish and benefited from as I watched movements develop uh, for the last more than 40 years. 
whether they were movements for African Liberation Support Committee. In 1967, I read a document that kind of changed my life. It was the uh, Julius Nares, the first president of, of Tanzania's African socialist, socialism, and the whole idea of the Arusha Declaration. Most of us forget about that as we, forget, we, we lose sight of many other movements that have happened within the course of our life, like the Nine-Align Movement in the early 70s and how that brought many nations from the global south together to kind of begin to fight for their own independence and own self-determination in various ways. Those are the kind of movements that have come out. But, of, but in some sense, watching what is happening today, I had the experience in just the last, and just a small note, of the last three weeks to encounter various movements, people building within the framework of change, whether it's the, the uh, my uh, visit uh, most recently to the, uh, to have a conversation with Sarah and David and Fran Corden when I was at this Social Justice Film Festival last weekend in, uh, in Seattle, and to have them talk about their new work, the work that they're doing in reimagining our relationship with nature, the writing that David's doing, talking about the sacredness, as he talked about it, the sacredness of nature and how we have to align ourselves with that sacredness. I know that Tom Goldtooth just earlier spoke about that, as, as he certainly has been championing that for a long moment and a long time in terms of the idea of reimagining ourselves. Ozzie Davis once said to me, just, just weeks before his transition, he said, we need artists to save us from machines, and that artists provide us. And I meant he went further than just those who announce themselves as artists, but as the old Tao saying is, may we live our lives artistically. So all of us encompass this whole spirit of ourselves as, as, as artists. So the idea that we need to, <clears throat> We need to use those capacities of our imagination and memory. Memory is, is, is <laughs> as David just mentioned, is so essential because the task of power is for you, for you to deny or forget memory. That you in sense that memory has no service and purpose, but memory has service and purpose for you. With those memories <clears throat> that allowed you to make the transition as human beings from one stage of development to the next stage of development, and I use the word development, not growth, but development in that sense, memory is essential to that process. <clears throat> from that experience of just talking to David <clears throat> and, and Fran Corden and Sarah, I also had the opportunity to go and visit a great friend of mine, uh, two great friends of mine, Paul Jay and, and Sharmini Perez, who have the real news. Everybody very much you know about the Real News Network, Internet Network. So, but, but I've been had a relationship for the last decade. But they're doing something phenomenal in, in Boston. And I would certainly hope that we all chime in and watch that pro progression of what is happening in Boston, I mean, in Baltimore. What they're doing with a location of 32,000 square feet, right just a couple of blocks from uh, uh, Baltimore City Hall, it's phenomenal, bringing 
all aspects of the community into the process, and particularly young voices, particularly young voices that are so necessary as we move forward in our reimagining and recreation of the world we want. And I met, happened to meet, a group of young debaters. These are African who, African, young African-American men who are somewhere between the ages, I imagine, of 25 and 30. And their process, what they've done is they've won the National Debate Championship is to teach others to debate social policy. To debate social, using debate as a platform to debate social policy. So one of the things that they were able to do in that quest was to stop the building of a juvenile detention center in Maryland. They played a campaign and won and stopped the building of that. They're also using that to see how they can themselves not only train others, but use access, the access that they have now, the knowledge that they've learned, the memory that they've collected, because they're not only they're, they're, the memory of their own ex ex struggle and their own transition, but the memory also that's created by those who come before them. And they use that now and they find ways in which they can engage in pol and politically and to change the dynamics around Baltimore. They're having one, having the station there, having a center right there, a place where they have town hall meetings that seats about 200, where they discuss local issues from whether it's poverty or whether it's education or whether it's homelessness, all of those are housed within this creative space, in this space. And it's way, another way of finding ways in which we can translate and reimagine our relationship to those things that are vital, are vital to us. Our relationship to democracy, our relationship to nature as well. This is one of the other thing that I had the opportunity to do, and I'm speaking of this, not just saying Danny traveled here, Danny traveled there, that Danny was here, Danny there, just the opportunity to vision and watch and engage because we have a lot of knowledge but we often don't have a lot of understanding. There's a difference between knowledge and understanding. You know, understanding is having empathy, understanding the plight. Well, I've been for the last year working with auto workers in Canton, Mississippi, Nissan auto workers who simply want to organize a union. Can you believe it that in this country right here that they don't have union represent representation in Canton, Mississippi? or in Nashville, Tennessee, where primarily the auto workers in Canton, Mississippi are African-American, 80%. Primarily, the auto workers in Nashville, Tennessee are white workers, 70 to 80%. They, neither one of them have unions. Now, the idea of that is profound in some sense. In some sense, they do not have, Nissan, who's been there 10 years, has not allowed them to vote to have a union. Well, I happened to go on a delegation with them, first to South Africa in late May and June, and they met members of a union, strong union, a union that had been in, involved and engaged in the anti-apartheid movement, NUMSA, the National Union of, My, of Metal Workers. They're the ones that negotiate, and they saw something that they, they thought was unbelievable, that they themselves had never experienced in Canton, Mississippi, and we know Mississippi is. Mississippi is Megar Evers. Mississippi is the three civil rights workers. Mississippi is all that we know. Things that they are capable to do, things that they were capable of, of, of building and relationships that they were able to build with these union workers in South Africa, 
whether it's Nunsum or whether it's Satu or whether it's Kasatu, building solidarity. They not only talk about their own plight, but talk about labor and from the global vantage point and what is happening to labor there. That experience transformed them. So I've had the opportunity for the last year watching the transformation of these human beings, seeing them empower themselves, these workers, seeing them now ex have larger expectations and demands on themselves, yes, but also on those who dictate what happens in their lives as well. So they not only become better union workers, better workers, but they become better citizens as well. An interesting thing that happened because for a while, Nissan did not attack me. So their latest attack on me was a poster that they put out saying that Danny Glover, why is he here? He's gonna make X amount of dollars doing Lethal Weapon 5. Now I haven't heard about a Lethal Weapon 5 or anything like that. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's just here disrupting your life and everything else, but he has no intention of following through and, as, and being there. He's gonna be gone, but we're gonna be here and you're gonna have to deal with us. We have to support these activities of workers such as this. We went to Brazil, we'll go to Japan. We have to continue. There's a viable way in which we can talk about our own existence here and talk about the things that are necessary that we need to accomplish here. And we have to do that in some sort of structure and that structure provided the, uh, the, that's provided the relationship between community, unions, and workers themselves. So that was another way of, of kind of exploring this other dynamic and watching the other things, the things that people have done. Or the Innocence Project, or Witness to Innocence. These are formed by men and Sister Jean, who, 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 who in some ways these men, a hundred and, and women, more than 144 of them, are lucky to be alive. Their lives were slated. They were to be on, they were on death row. They were all on death row. So if you can be in the emotional place where you see several men and women, white, black, Hispanic men and women, who are able to kind of relate to you because they've come back from the other side. They were destined to be executed, and yet what happens in this process? DNA or whatever has freed them. And the emotion within that, the emotion with that was just extraordinary as they were celebrating their 10th year. And they're celebrating and the power that they've gained and the sense of purpose that they've gained in their life is about that. I said all this because I think sometimes we find ourselves detached from the real things that are happening that change our lives, where there's a different relationship that city dwellers have with urban gardening, which is important around the whole idea of food security, important of reconnecting us with nature in a sense, important in re reconnecting us with ourselves and the whole idea of community. I said this because as we move forward and to begin to talk about what do we do as King once said, uh, said in his last book, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Where do we go from here? And what do these movements that we see spring up, how do they now translate into the world that we envision? How do they now translate into the people who we desire to be? And it's important. We know that this, this, this system that we exist, that the dominant culture, what it's done, it's done irreparable damage to nature. 
It's done irreparable damage to us, in a sense. It's in some sense it alienated us from nature, alienated us from ourselves, and alienated us from the ideas of community as well. So as we move forward, as we talk about these issues, you know, it's wonderful to be, to be an artist, as we all are, artists, transforming, configurating, exploring the dynamics of our imagination in real terms, in real, real life, in a sense. In some ways, we have this opportunity, this opportunity in the midst of this, with all the naysayers and whatever people have said, that we are capable of building community and building that community and sustaining, have sustainable activism. It's not just one movement in itself. As we've all learned, many of you who've been involved in one movement, it's a, a collective memory of all those movements as we move forward, because they've all added value to who we are. They've all added value to our vision of a different world, a world that works for all of us. And doing, doing so, every single thing that we do, everything that we do is we re-inhabit or we reimagine our relationship to the common space, reimagine our relationship to nature, reimagine re our, our relationship to the things that are important. We could talk about, on the one hand, poverty and have all the knowledge that we want in terms of understanding poverty, but we, do we know what it is? Do we have empathy for that? I've had the opportunity also to be able to watch the transformation that is happening in very commu various communities of the world, various communities, groups of Afro-descended communities, groups of other communities where people, in the sense of building the courage to now transform their lives. We're a part of that. The more we make ourselves a part of that, the more we ingratiate that, the more we embrace that, we bring, we bring something dynamic, something transformative, something courageous. But it's going to take that courage. It's going to take us stepping out, not knowing, stepping further, not just where the system itself allows us to step out but beyond where the system allows us to step out, to fulfill, to fulfill that destiny. And that destiny, as Paul Robeson once said, that each generation makes its own history, defines its own history, and will be defined at this moment by the history where we make and the way that we take the crisis that we have, a crisis that is a crisis that has tested us all in ways, but then also a crisis which also provides us with the strength. And I think the clarity and the space to reimagine every single thing that happens in our lives, every single relationship is with that, with that, that we move forward as we move forward in the 21st century. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. For Thank you. Thank you.